0: This morning, uh, we're going to read the text of Scripture here in just a moment, but we hear, we hear, in fact, you can be turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This morning we hear from God's Word written by Paul to the church of the Thessalonians. Now as we come to this text of Scripture, to hear God speak in the present tense through his Word inscripturated... We pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired this word will also illuminate this word. Same Holy Spirit who inspired this word will now illuminate this word. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, actually the full, the full chapter, so it's verses 1 through 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 through 10. And I love this chapter because it's fitting as we pause here, we celebrate an anniversary, not just looking looking back, but looking ahead. Being reminded that that, that God, the verse we sang about, Hebrews 13:8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. God does not change. And and we're reminded of that as we read this text fun, fundamentally and foundationally. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is God's word. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we are grateful this morning for the Holy Spirit who inspires this word, that shines a light on the Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access to you as our Father. This day we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired this word now illuminate this word and will bring change to eyes and hearts and hands. And as we are grounded, we give you thanks for what has been. Great is your faithfulness. And we pray with hope for the future. And our hope is not wishful thinking. It's certain as it's grounded in the promises of God. So guide us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Anniversaries. It's a time to look back and to look ahead, but also to ponder in the moment the place, the time and place we are, the lessons learned, the processing over experiences, or our own experiences, our history. I think of the words of David Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. That's part of what we are here to do today, to, to remember, to commend the works of God to one another. And friends, the the, the term commend is not just to to recount the truth, it's to recount the truth we have personally experienced. That's the commendation. It's not just passing truth. It is that, but it's more. It's truth that has touched us, that has transformed us. And that's what we are about. We are about commending that. And friends, the other thing that, that, that we are mindful of as, as, we, as we look at this text is that when we look at our experiences, or when we, when we look at our history, when we recount what God has done, we, we, we need to interpret our experiences by the scriptures. And we need to understand our history as grounded in God's redemptive history. It's not just an experience divorced from what God is doing in our lives, nor is, is it history, 130 years, separate from God's redemptive plan of, of, of what he has done and what he will do. And so that's the context that I want us to think about when we uh, 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 think about this text in First Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, what do we know about Thessalonica, this, 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 these first verses that we have read? Well, Thessalonica was a strategic city. It was, it was one of the best natural harbors on the Aegean Sea, if you remember some of the Middle East uh, geography. Um, and it was located at the, the junction of the Ignatian Way, which, is, which was a major east-west Roman highway. As a result of this specific location, providentially chosen by God, the city was one of the most populous and important in Macedonia with about 100,000 people, and serving as a provincial capital. Now, it was also religiously pluralistic. Based on archaeological and transcriptional evidence, many Greco-Roman deities were present in Thessalonica. That puts into context, then, what Paul says in verses 9 and 10, that you turned to God from idols. And this is what Paul is talking about, because it's, 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 they're real idols, that they were, they were serving these false gods. So the Roman deities, Greco-Roman deities, such as Dionysius, Asclepius, Aphrodite, does that sound familiar? Demeter and Zeus. And not only these Greco-Roman, but the Egyptian gods, Isis and Serapis, were also present and popular, as was the imperial cult with its worship of the Roman Empire. And in the midst of this, the the city also had a large Jewish synagogue. Now, this is the background or the context in which Paul's writing. From this context, people were changed. They They were converted. They were born again. Now, Paul founded the church in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey. And he writes this letter from Corinth. These are familiar names, city names. Because we've got two letters uh, in the canon, in the Bible, written to the believers in Corinth. John Stott concludes the following, whose outline I follow in, a, in broader strokes. He writes this about, about Thessalonica. What is of particular interest, because it applies to Christian communities in every age and place, is, that, is the interaction which the apostle portrays between the church and the gospel. He shows how the gospel creates the church and the church spreads the gospel. And how the gospel forms and shapes the church as the church needs to live a life that is worthy of the gospel. Friends, that's a good reminder to us from John Stott, who's now with the Lord, and and um, just remembering that th- this is this is the, the the kind of the interplay of the gospel that births the church. The church propagates the gospel. The the, the church lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. It's all gospel grounded. Now, as Paul begins this epistle, Thessalonians, his first letter, he focuses on two major things that we will identify this morning in, the, in this uh, first chapter. Number one, the church of God, which the gospel has brought into being, verses 1 to 4. And then secondly, he addresses the gospel the church received. So, the, gospel, uh, the church and the gospel, and how they, they interact with one another and is subsequently spreading, concluding with a statement about the transforming power of the gospel in their lives and in any Christian's lives subsequent to that, verses 5 through 10. First then, the church of God, verses 1b to 4. Let's look at this again. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And we'll end there. Uh, Verse 4. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What do we notice here in what Paul is saying in these first few verses? Notice, firstly, the church... Though geographically localized, just like this church is geographically localized in Lance, it exists and lives in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is from verse 1b. Now, this letter is sent to the church, a gathered body of believers, just like we are here, and when one becomes a Christian, one becomes part of a family. Often we will refer to this as a church family. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. You look at your your history and you recognize you stand on the shoulders of giants. Those who claim to love Jesus but despise or hate the church do not understand the Lord Jesus and what he came to do. That is, to redeem a people, the church, for himself, for his own glory. Note This is sent to the church of the Thessalonians, that is the believers, in Thessalonica, the city. But importantly, and this is what I want us to to, to capture, Paul identifies their location not as Thessalonica, but in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. A theological address supersedes a geographical location. It's not that geographical location doesn't matter. Here we are, and it matters. But what even supersedes our geographical location is our theological address. Being in God the Father through Jesus Christ transforms being of a local community. This is important for us to remember today. Secondly, notice the church manifests spiritual life through a work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. This comes from verse 3. Paul often emphasizes faith, hope, and love as marks of the Christian. And there are a number of texts that we could look at that would affirm that truth. And sometimes, sometimes he varies the order so that the emphasized virtue, whether it's faith, whether it's hope, whether it's love, the emphasized virtue... Occurs in the climactic final position. That's often how Paul will emphasize uh, these virtues. Now, here in verse 3, you see your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, what is he emphasizing? Hope. And if you read the larger letter to the Thessalonians, the issue was, has Christ returned or not? So so it's really focusing on, do we have a hope for the future or not? And so he's emphasizing hope, right? Faith, notice, faith is directed to God, love is directed to others, and hope is directed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or one could say, faith rests on the past. Love labors in the present. You know, I've, I've seen this. I've been here just since, since I guess I got here Saturday. <laughs> Supposed to get here Friday, Saturday. But I've, I've seen the labor of love in the present as, as, as you've experienced uh, the death of Jim. That, that is a mark of, 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 of God the Holy Spirit, in your midst. It's a labor of love. But you you need to realize it's not not a labor in the sense of, this is burdensome, right? It's a labor that's not a burden. But also, hope steadfastly looks to the future. And hope does not disappoint us. Because our hope in the future is based on the promises of God who does not change. So every Christian is a believer, a lover, and a hope-filled longer. This, I think, is an evidence of regeneration. The work of God in our our midst. Notice, thirdly, in the church of God, verses 1 to 4, the church is loved by God and chosen again this is clear from verse 4 their Christian life is grounded in God's love we love why because he first loved us he loved us and gave himself for us it is the history of redemption God choosing God loves all in some ways and yet he loves some in all ways Did you ever grow tired of remembering and relishing the fact that God loved and loves you? Remember the exhortation to the church in Ephesus? Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. They had left their first love. If anniversaries do nothing other than rekindling your first love to the Lord Jesus Christ... Praise be to God, it will have proven to accomplish what we've prayed for. Rekindle the first love. You know, this, this manifests, all of these things manifest the church of God. The, the work of the gospel birthing the church of Jesus Christ. And this manifests life together in the church of Jesus Christ. Here's the words of one that I've really appreciated. He writes this. The church of God is the only hermeneutic of the gospel. Here's expanding on that. The primary primary reality of which we have to take account in seeking for a Christian impact on public life is the Christian congregation. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? The only answer the only hermeneutic of the gospel, that is the only explanation, the only interpretation of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Dear friends, that's your history. That is the history of every church that exists. In commenting on this, the author goes on and highlights six characteristics of what a church... What, what ought to be reflective of the true church. This new community. And he, he, he marks this. These six identifiers. And let, let's hold up a mirror. Okay? Let's hold up a mirror. Let's not just look out the window and, 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 and kind of check off a box about what someone else is doing. But let's look in the mirror. Here's what he writes. It will be this church, this church, It will be a community of praise in a world of doubt and skepticism. It will be a community of truth in a pluralistic society that overwhelms and produces relativism. There is no truth. It will be a selfless community that does not live for itself but is deeply involved in the concerns of its neighborhood in a selfish world. It warmed my heart to be traveling with Pastor Matt yesterday. He burned up a tank of gas, driving around, being able to identify as a pastor, as a shepherd should, identify where you live and, and some of the history of what's, what's happened here or what's, what's happening, uh, what has happened. It was a delight just to see the, 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 the love and the care of a, of a true under-shepherd under the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I give thanks for that. I know, I know you do as well. And it's not just Matt, it's Heather as well. And, and, but but that, that's what happens. It, it's, it's a community. You care for the community. You care for the people. That's, that's a mark of a Christian. It will also be a community prepared to live out the gospel in public life in a world that privatizes all religious claims. It's okay. It's okay for you to believe that. But don't, don't, don't say it out loud. And that's not it. It will be a community of mutual responsibility in a world of individualism. I'm my own authority. And it will be a community of hope in a world of pessimism and despair about the future. I love that. It, it, it just reminds us of what really matters. You know, I have to say that when I looked at the history of Lance, think about this this is what you presently say is your mission. It's in your bulletin. Lance Free Church exists to glorify God. Sounds, it sounds like Thessalonians, what we're reading. To glorify God by bringing people into a life trans, trans, uh, life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You know what? That's out of First Thessalonians verses nine and 1, verses 9 and 10. People will turn from idols to, to serve the living and true God. Bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. You're reflecting the truth of the scriptures. That's today. In your history, think about this. In 1892, 10 charter members gathered, believers gathering to plant a church, to, to begin to meet uh, under the, the Lord Jesus Christ together to encourage each other, to, to remind each other of biblical truth. To be, a, to be a church in a community that displays the glory of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. In 1893, two evangelists, or two evangelistic meetings were held. Two evangelists came, I'm sorry, and held, held mission meetings for a month. And at the end of this month, 34 people prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's the foundation, the beginning of, of Lance Evangelical Free Church. That sounds like the Book of Thessalonians. In 1896, you contributed to the Free Church Orphanage in Phelps, Nebraska. That's an interesting story in and of itself. That that orphanage was not intentionally birthed; it was unintentionally birthed. Isn't that often how ministry goes? A single pastor and his mom uh, ended up. Uh, they they someone heard had lost uh, parents and they, they heard that this pastor in Phelps, Nebraska had, had a, a home for children. He didn't. Until he did. You know how that goes. You supported this ministry. You know, the, the Article 8 in our Statement of Faith, compassion. Th- th- this is what you've been committed to from, from the beginning. Or, or think, about, think about 1897 Read Frederick Franson. In a spirit of revival came and, and and spoke to the congregation. And he founded team in, in, in 1891, the Evangelical Alliance Mission. Missions, getting the gospel out, because lives need to be changed by the truth of the gospel. And you've supported, as you promised, your forefathers, as you promised at that day, 1897, you would support a team missionary. You have to this day. Until the Lord returns, was the promise. And in 19, eight, I'm sorry, 1898, you had 56 members. Friends, I, I share that with you, just as a, not just as a recollection of your history, but as a, as a reminder of the work of God in your midst. And he's not done. He's not done. Notice now, then the second truth comes in the gospel of God. The gospel of God, verses 5 through 10. Verses 5 through 10. Once again, uh, read along with me. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you and for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. The gospel here, friends, becomes the culminating truth of this text at the midpoint of this first chapter. It looks backward as critical to understand what the church of God is and it's critical in looking forward to see the effects or the fruit of the gospel in both its messengers and its recipients. Notice, notice firstly, the way the gospel came. Heralds, evangelists, and messengers, verse 5. Paul begins this verse with because. He provides two grounds here in in talking about the, the, the way the gospel came. The two grounds are authenticity and authority. The authority of those preaching the gospel. That is to say, he's focusing on the content of the gospel and the character formed and transformed by the gospel. It's a one and the other. One is, one is foundational, but the other is fruit. And they go together. The foundation without the fruit is barren, the fruit without a foundation will be rotten. It's both it's both authenticity and authority content and character notice how paul what paul says about how the word came it came in word that is to say the evangel is good news it's good news and it must be spoken and it has specific content. That content centers on Jesus Christ, his completed, finished work on the cross for our behalf, and his ascension reflecting the fact that it was done. You find it interesting that that, that the last words of Jesus on the cross, it is finished, and some of the first words he spoke to those that saw him post-resurrection was, peace be with you. Well, what happens is the reason it was finished is because the debt was paid, which means the first words that he would speak post-resurrection would be, we now are at peace with God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That makes sense. It puts it together. And that's what we see here. It, it, It came in word. But notice it also came in power. It came in power. And notice Paul is saying that the power with which it came was not merely signs and wonders but rather it refers to the powerful work of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ to make a dead person alive. That's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel to create new life. New life. And that's why he then goes on to say, in the Holy Spirit. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit who renews, who brings life. You remember the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel? And God, he breathes into the bones and they start rattling. And there's life. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit who brings life in word, in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, convinced this is true, Both, both objectively true, it happened, it's true, but also subjectively we believe it and we stake our lives on it. The power, the, the, the Holy Spirit, full conviction. In other words, you know our character, is what Paul's saying. And, and then he ends by saying, for your sake. One cannot help but think of 2 Corinthians 4, verse 5. The gospel enables us to give ourselves for the sake of others, just as Jesus did. For, think of this. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now we don't give our lives as a ransom, thanks be to God. We don't need to. It's done. But we do give our lives for others. And we do so in the power of the Holy Spirit, with full conviction, and in joy, with joy. In fact, that comes uh, in in the next section here. Notice, secondly, the way the gospel was received, verses 6 to 8. Paul, Paul t- talks about the way, the way, the manner in which the gospel was received. Now, he contrasts here words with power. Words with power. Notice in verse 6, he, t- he says that this gospel came to them, and, and he identifies the manner in which it came, but now he says it came in much affliction. Verse 6. Now, you'll remember that when, when Paul preached this gospel a number were persuaded and joined them. That is, they became believers. But the Jews became jealous and enlisted the aid of some wicked men of the rabble. Uh, They formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. Luke records that account for us. Now, many sources indicate the offense and even disgust that non-Christian neighbors felt when converts to Christianity refused to take part in common social and cultic sorts of activities. Things that we would not do as believers in Christ because we've turned from idols to serve the living and true God. There was a cost for them to do that. Just as there is today, friends. Just as there is today. Identifying as a Christian or with a church used to carry cultural capital. There was not much of a cost. And you would talk about cultural Christianity. Friends, today it carries cultural cost and condemnation. It it comes with much affliction. But hang on, that's not all that Paul says. Because a supernatural response, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to respond differently than we would in the flesh, is with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You remember the early church, Acts chapter five, verse thirty-nine. They they were the, the early apostles were beaten, disciples were beaten, but what if they considered it a joy to suffer for the sake or the name of Christ? And that's what we see here. The same Spirit who gave power to those who preached the gospel gave joy to those who received it. He empowers speakers and hearers. Joy is also, as you remember, a fruit of the Spirit. Plus, don't overlook the fact that when one sinner repents, there is joy in heaven among the angels. You know, I think uh, so often the life of a Christian is sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Second Corinthians chapter 6 verse 10. "This is not a grit your teeth or a Pollyanna-ish existence. it is a deep trust in God. And notice, he talks about imitation, imitating, modeling an example. Uh, Imitation is part of the Christian life. We learn a whole lot about imitation in the Christian life. Last evening, we learned about about tacit Trinitarianism. That's another conversation. But it's about the fact that we, we pick up biblical truth, truths of Christianity, from others, watching others, how they pray, what they say, how they interact with somebody else. We learn Christian truth in that way, that's grounded then back in the scriptures. You know, my little grandson, he repeats everything that you say. Everything. Formation happens here as well when we gather. Like my grandson, hearing and repeating, you too, with each other, we see and we respond. And then mostly in the scriptures, we hear and we see Jesus and we live and imitate. It's taught and it's caught. And notice finally the power of the gospel transforms verses 9 and 10. I think this is the fullest and clearest account of the power of the gospel as evidenced in regeneration or conversion or being born again or becoming a Christian that, that, that I think is, consists in the New Testament. The gospel transforms and turns the heart and affections to God away from the world. This is Jesus in John 17 that we are in the world but we're not of the world. So they turn to God. Turn is a, a technical term for repentance. It's, it's, it's one's repenting. and uh, t- Turn to God from idols. Idols are dead. God is living. Idols are false. God is true. Idols are human fabrications. God is the creator of all without beginning or end. And Paul addressed idolatry in a number of different, different settings. How would we define idolatry today? We would say I'm not, there's no statue in my house, there's no, there's no physical idol in my, in my, my place of uh, uh, where I work or whatever the case might be. But an idol is not just a physical structure. It, it was to some degree in Thessalonica, but it wasn't only uh, that. It was also a way of life. It was also a way of thinking. It was also worshiping other gods. It was also living a certain way denying who God is. Here's how one defines an idol. What is an idol? It is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that... Then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Friends, young people are wrestling with that in a huge way. There are many ways, this author describes further, to to explain that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So sin isn't only doing bad things, it is more fundamentally making good things ultimate things. Sin is building your life and meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Whatever we build our, our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily idolatry. The Thessalonians turned from idols to serve. The living and true God, verse 9. Living and true God describes who God is. Here, here it, it's used to describe or contrast him with the dead and the false gods that the Christians formerly worshipped. And this turning from idols to serve the living and true God impacts both our individual lives, yes, and our corporate life together as the body of Christ, describing that the church is the greatest interpretation of the gospel to a watching world. And and friends, I'm I'm saddened to say that the last two years, I think it's been anything but that, by and large. The divisions, the bickering, etc., It it grieves me. It grieves the heart of God because it doesn't manifest in practice and in life the gospel that we affirm with our lips. And then finally, friends, we wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead who delivers us from the wrath to come. Friends, the present tense of rescues, he rescues us, present tense, Uh, Wait a minute, now, you can talk about rescue in the past, that is, from sin, that is, at the point at which we're converted or saved, or you can talk about rescue in the future when the Lord Jesus Christ will return, but here Paul uses it in the, not the past, not the future, but the present tense, so that, because he is so certain that it might as well be happening already. That means our lives are, are changed. They're transformed. We're not living for ourselves any longer. So friends, as we celebrate the 130th anniversary of Lance Evangelical Free Church, grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ, tethered to the tra- text of scripture, continue to be faithful to the work of God in your midst, of, of, of standing uh, on biblical truth loving God, loving others, and loving others through love and fellowship in your church family, loving others with compassion for different ministries around you and internationally, of loving others for salvation, both here in evangelism And abroad in mission and young and old. As Paul would exhort the Thessalonians later to keep on loving as you are, I would encourage you by God's grace to keep on loving God and loving each other and proclaiming the gospel for another, I won't put a year on it until the Lord returns. May he enable you, us, to do that by his grace and for his glory. Great is God's faithfulness.